0: The following audio message is from Neighborhood Church in Overland Park, Kansas. At Neighborhood Church, we seek to be a community that loves God and our neighbors together. If you would like to learn more about Neighborhood Church, please go to www.neighborhoodchurchop.com. Good morning, Neighborhood Church just want to make everything clear. Uh, My Travis Kelsey jersey is at home waiting for me. I will be changing into it the second I get through the door. So I am a Chiefs fan. I'll be cheering for them during the game. But um, well, uh, you know, first off, I wanted to start by sharing a little bit of what we were doing on Wednesday. uh, This last week, there were several of you that um, gave up their Wednesday night and about 15 youth came as well and what we did as a church is we made some care bags for uh, uh, the uh, frontline workers, healthcare workers, social workers in our community. There's a couple photos up here of the night. It was a great time um, just uh, preparing to love the community and I know Rob and Brian and uh, yeah, there's some pretty silly pictures in here too. So, uh, oh yeah, I had to put that one in there. Silas is dabbing in the background, so it's great. Um, But uh, you know, it's a great time to love the community, and I know that those uh, care bags are going out and uh, being dispersed. And we we it was just a little bit of uh, love, cookies and crackers and um, some candy, a little bit of a, a a note card on it that we stapled and just saying that we. We care about those that are uh, in the front lines working and, and devoting so much of their time and their life and love uh, to serving us, so we just wanted to share a little bit back with them. It was a great time, and thank you all for coming out and helping that, and thank you Rivers for orchestrating that. So uh, we, we packaged 1,000 bags that are going out into the community, which, was, which is really sweet, really awesome. Well, um, let's pray before we uh, dive into our message this morning. Dear Jesus, thank you for today. God, thank you for your goodness to us. God, I pray that you would open our eyes and our heart for what you have in store for us today. I pray that you would help your word to work in our life. I pray that we would remember the eternal truth of your word, that we would forget uh, the words of man and the structures of man, that we would lean on your wisdom and not the wisdom of the world. I pray that we would trust in our identity in Christ as children of yours. We love you and praise you. Thank you for today in Jesus name. Amen. Well, this morning I would like to start with a little bit of an illustration. I want to make it an important part of this morning to read our our passage today in context. So as a as a, a discoverer of God's word and his truth, it's always important to read Bible in context. So, I want to paint a little picture just as a a fun illustration here. Let's pretend that there's a historian, you know, just for fun, you know, maybe a college student or something like that does a project and uh, he comes up to Dave and I and says, Well, I'd like to document something about your church for history, being a part of history. And so, of course, Dave and I say, Sure, well, what do you want to do? And and uh, you know, he tells us that he wants to document maybe a, a certain area of the church for a week to write down what was said um, in a certain area of the church, maybe that has a lot of happenings and going ons and parties and things like that. And so, Dave and I, well, you know, we gather in the fellowship hall a lot. We have a lot of stuff happening in there. So, so he sets up some recordings, you know, uh, you know, microphones and documents everything that was said in the fellowship hall for a week, right? Okay, let's just pretend this, right? And so let's fast forward, okay, 300 years from now, right? A few hundred years, and uh, this historian's project has been put online. It's been uh, uh, documented so that anyone can access it. And let's say someone stumbles upon what was said in the fellowship hall 300 years from now. And uh, they pull it up online, this lucky person who's decided to read these, these things, and, and they, they find these sayings. There's no way we're going to survive this. We should give up. And if I go down, I'm taking you with me. And another entry to our, our, uh, uh, our, our catalog of sayings, he reads, How dare you? Why would you try and kill me? We've been invaded by aliens, and, and now they've taken over. And, of course, he reads uh, again, and he's bewildered, right? I will do my best to do whatever it takes to destroy you. Right? Now, well, What conclusions do you think he would come to about neighborhood church if if he just read these things and turned to them and didn't do any other digging, didn't do any other study about the context in which these things were read. Well, let's say he decides to do a little bit of more, more digging. And he finds a neighborhood church schedule from 300 years ago, right? And it's still online. <laughs> but he finds out that... In the fellowship hall on Monday nights, there's a thing that we have, and that's a Monday night guys hangout. And at this time, we love to play board games, and he finds out that our church is a huge board gaming church, and, and you see these, these comments start to be put in their context, right? So one of our favorite games at these at these uh, Monday night gatherings is a game called We're Doomed, and in it, the only goal is to survive, right? That's the only goal. And there's all these things that happen in the game, and you know you can actually, uh, uh, you know, nuke each other with certain abilities, and you know, kill each other, and you know, all these things would have been said during this game, right? Just in the game. So you know, so in the context, these things like "How dare you? Why are you trying to kill me? I, I'm going to do my best to to do whatever it takes to destroy you." Right? In context, in the game, it makes sense. But if if someone just read these things out of context, they'd probably think we were kind of, you know, maniacs and crazy and ridiculous, right? And a uh, great community at Neighborhood Church, right? So context matters. Context really does matter. So I want to make sure we read our verse and our passage, our verses today in context, and we're going to look at it in detail this morning. So let's open up to First Corinthians chapter 7, verses 17 through 24, and this is uh, going to be... Uh, uh, we'll we'll dissect it but we're going to have two points today uh, for those of you taking taking notes so let's let's begin verse 17 says only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him this is my rule in all the churches was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised, let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when you were called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. For he who was called in the Lord as a as a freed excuse me, but he who was called in the Lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was free when called is a bond servant of Christ. You were bought with the price, do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. So in keeping with our context, there's just a couple things I want to point out. And Dave's done a great job, uh, as he's been preaching through Corinthians, to highlight the context. But the Corinthians, right, the the, the type of person in the Cor- Corinthian church, they were very concerned with social status, who was in the in crowd spiritually at their church, and who followed whose teaching, right? They were very caught up in being a follower of Paul or Peter or Apollos, right, uh, type of teaching, spiritual teaching, They were also caught up in their relational status, whether that was marriage, or they weren't married, or who they were married to, and the effects of their their social opinion on themselves. They were also concerned with their racial status. This church was made up of Jewish and Gentile believers, and Gentile meaning non-Jew, so that could mean a whole different array of, of people and nationalities. And the Corinthians, right, they were a mixture of this. But if I could sum it up, right, in the context, the Corinthians, they were concerned about being the VIP, right, spiritually speaking. They were concerned about how could I influence my standing in the church community and in God's eyes, relationally, socially, or racially. They wanted to be the VIP. And this makes sense, right, in the greater context where Dave was highlighting that the, the several first few chapters of uh, First Corinthians is all about unity, right? It's all about the identity of the church promoting being one body of Christ and obedience to God together. And so the last part that I want to highlight, though, about this, this context before we dive into our first point is that in Corinth, the practice of becoming a bondservant was very common But it was nonetheless far from desirable. This word bondservant can be translated servant or slave as well. And people in their time, whether under their own power or not, were subjected by other men and women to work and do whatever another person demanded they do. And people would most commonly sell themselves to work off debt or to ensure that they would find shelter and food. But the overall well-being of each bond servant was up to the behavior of that person's individual master. And so some would have been treated very well because their master was moral, maybe a little bit more ethical, and others, I'm sure, would have been mistreated in terrible, terrible ways. Historians believe that at the time of Paul, again, with the context, that, that Corinth was composed of one-third freeborn people, so people who had never been a part, or been in slavery or in servitude. and another third of the people were freed slaves. So they had their freedom now, but they spent a time as a bond servant. And the last one-third of the population were slaves or bond servants. So as you can hear, slavery and bond servanthood was rampant throughout the Greco-Roman world, especially in Corinth. And this was the reality for the first century church that that Paul is speaking to. Uh, Being a bondservant may have been a step above becoming a slave from military conquest, but it was nonetheless not a good place to be in. So let's look at verse 17. Let's dive in. Verse 17 says, Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned to him and to which God has called him. This is my rule in all the churches. So Paul is taking a break from kind of a practical teaching on marriage and relationships. And he's taking a step back and he's he's applying a, a general spiritual truth that he wants the whole church to apply as he's going about these principles and these practices. And Dave's going to be preaching through that next week. But this is a general spiritual truth that he wants the whole church to to understand. And not only this church, but all churches, he says. So he starts by saying that God has assigned each one of them a life and has called them to walk in obedience to that call. So he's reminding the church of a spiritual reality meant to be heard by everyone, that, that uh, every life in the, in the Corinthian church, every life in the first century church, has a, a, a purpose, a meaning which God has given to them. And, and a calling that he's called each one of them to walk in, that verb to lead in is, is really to walk the life, to live in it. So this is kind of like, a, if I could highlight it, it's like, have you ever been taught how to do something and and the person gets around to saying, whatever you do, do this, right? And, you know, they're teaching you a bunch of things, but they say, or whatever you do, do this, Right. I kind of heard don't do this a lot of times too, you know, but it was like, you know, whatever you do, do this or don't do this. This is Paul's section where he's really teaching a lot of practical application around this section, but he says, whatever you do, right, hear me now. Walk in the life that God has called for each one of you. So he continues to illustrate what this means with two different analogies that would apply to life in Corinth, And remember, both Jewish and Gentile believers were were present in Corinth. So he goes on in verse 18. He says, Was anyone at the time of his call already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Each one should remain in the condition which he was called. So this first analogy pertains to circumcision. I think it was said about 5,000 5, times in that passage, right? So it has, to, it has to do with circumcision, but this outward practice was the sign of God's covenant to Abraham and his descendants, the Israelites, that this would be the mark of God's covenant people. And Christ came, though, And since Christ came into the world, he fulfilled the law and the requirements of the law. And this gave way to the gift of the Holy Spirit. And so Paul's reminding this church that this outward sign of being a part of the body of Christ is no longer necessary, but it's the Holy Spirit. And it's the sign of the gospel and belief and faith in the gospel. So Paul told the church in Rome a very similar thing. In Romans 2.29, he says, But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. So Paul has said that each one of the members of the church is being called to live a life which has been assigned to him or her, keeping in mind that the desires of the people are based on the pursuit of elevating their own personal status to become more spiritual or capable to worship God in their minds. And Paul shares that this pursuit of changing one's outward appearance from Jew to Gentile or Gentile to Jew, however which way they think would profit them the greatest, right, is displaying a depth of insecurity in themselves and not security in the gospel of Jesus. Paul communicates the spiritual importance they have placed on the physical signs shows that these Corinthians have a self-centered pursuit, which is pointless because the race which they have been born into does not lessen their spiritual capacity to worship God and serve him. And the underlying assumption Paul is addressing is that the church in Corinth is so convinced that their social status will change their spiritual standing with God and that in placing themselves in more profitable and expedient or socially advantageous situations, they will elevate God's approval of them. And be able to serve him with greater effect. And this is where our application really comes in. It's that God's approval of us has nothing to do with our wealth, our ethnicity, our social rank, or achievement, or our outward church-based practices. But based solely on our faith in his son Jesus. The Corinthians were having a hard time adjusting to this idea that God promises his approval because of Christ and not on their outward appearance. So Paul tells them follow the call of the life or the call of the life God has laid out for them, right? Trust God when he says he's approved them already and that they don't have to change their outward appearance for God's approval. That there's no need to add anything to the work of Christ to be accepted in the eyes of God. So this leads us into our point number one, and that is your identity is secure in Christ. Your identity is secure in Christ. This brought to my mind a time uh, not too long ago, my wife and I switched our insurance carriers. And uh, we had to download an application which maybe some of you have done this, that that actually records your driving behavior. Have you guys done this? Anyone done this? Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay, my parents, yes, I know they did. Okay, well, anyway, so this, okay, maybe not. So this is a program, though, seriously, you download an application, and it tracks your speed, your braking, uh, uh, how frequently you drive, right? And you get either rewarded or you get, um, you know, uh, lessened. The money back that you've paid on your policy, right? Your premium. And it's for three months. And as I thought about this, I was like, a lot of times I feel like I treat God like he's an insurance agent, okay? Or an insurance agency. That That my circumstances, when I was in that car driving around, you know, there was a moment where a car slammed on its brakes, right? Right in front of me. And in my mind, I'm thinking, Do I slam on my brakes to not to hit the car, or do I hit the car and, you know, I still get the insurance policy and, you know, I still get the benefits of that? I'm like, I think I'm going to slam on the brakes so I don't get in a car wreck, right? So, well, I go home after this experience, and of course, the insurance app tells me that I had uh, had a, a, you know, been uh, marked for hard braking, and I was like, what does it want me to do? I mean, I'm going to hit a car, right? It's like this app doesn't understand the circumstance I'm going through, and, it, and it's penalizing me of something I can't control, right? And sometimes I, I think that in our circumstances and in my circumstances in life, what, what's happening around me, things that I can't control, it's almost as if I think God is not approving of me or he doesn't bless me, Right? Because of what's happening in my life, or that I don't think I'm in a place that I can worship God to the fullest based on my circumstances. If He has called me to walk in this certain circumstance. So we think God restricts us or holds spiritual benefits from us based on our circumstance or the measurable things that we do and, and what happens to us that we we can't really control. When actuality, the the spiritual policy we have with God will always be ours because it is based on our faith in Christ's death and resurrection, so on Christ and not not in our changing circumstances at all. So, to make this practical, as I was thinking about this and and applying it, it a couple of things came across my mind: situations that that we just don't have any control over, but that can. Inadvertently and maybe maybe in a in a deeper sense, or a deeper but quieter sense, affect our relationship with God is do we think that maybe an intellectually gifted person or a Christian is more capable to worship God than one who isn't? You know, do, do we believe that in our families, if we're parents and we have children who have not followed the Lord, despite our instruction or despite godly instruction, right? Do we believe that that we have um, the same spiritual standing as if we had children? All of our children followed the Lord. You know, do we believe that in our marriage, in our relationships, in our singleness, whatever state we're in, right? Maybe we're married to a non-believer. Maybe a person is. Married to a difficult person to love? Do we believe that our situations, our circumstances that we find ourselves in, that we can't control, do we believe that God's approval of us is lessening or heightening depending on these circumstances? And what about our health? It's hard to deal with health issues. It often takes us away from church, away from serving in our community and feeling connected to the body of Christ. And it can feel very disheartening. And somehow that God's approval of us has drifted. But that's just not the case. And that's what Paul is encouraging the Corinthians to walk out the calling on their life in every circumstance. So in these times where we can't control our environment, we think that, we were, and if we think we were not in this circumstance that God has led us into that we could honor God more, it's actually then that we really miss out on honoring God fully in these situations by not resting in our identity in Christ. So if we're anxious or we're wishful about our circumstances to change, to be in a different state than we are currently, we should repent and trust God that He's actually waiting on us to come under His lordship in these circumstances. So, one thing I want to highlight here is that in this next illustration, it's important to to make sure that verse twenty, or excuse me, verse twenty, is applied to this first illustration. Verse twenty says, "Each one of you should remain in the condition in which he was called." So, specifically in re- regards to the circumcision and uncircumcision, in this next section is the next illustration he goes into in verse 21. He says, were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can gain your freedom, avail yourself of the opportunity. Now remember we were talking about, about context, right? This is vitally important in understanding the truth of God's word in this section. Because if I picked this verse out, plucked it out, and I just read this, I might think that Paul is actually condoning bond servanthood or slavery. I might think that's what he means by don't be concerned about it. But remember the context. The Corinthians, the believers there, each one of them thinking that somehow their current social state influenced their spiritual relation to God. You can imagine why Paul says, don't be concerned with your slavery. Or with your servanthood. Because those in servanthood thought that their standing was less than. They thought that they had to get to a certain state. Maybe freedom. Maybe a marital status with someone who was free. In order for them to be in the VIP status. Where God actually looked at them and approved of them in a greater way. So, when he says don't be concerned with your slavery, he doesn't mean to say he approves of the practice, but rather to tell those who are in bondservanthood that your social state as a slave does not mean you are any less of a child of the living of God, the living God. This is an encouragement for the believers to trust God when he says that you don't need to be a free person in order to have the platinum level access to God, the greatest access to God, because it's based on Christ and his sacrifice. So if there's any doubt that Paul isn't encouraging bond servanthood or this, this idea of slavery or servanthood in the first century, he says in the next section, if you can work for your freedom, it is, if it is within your power to pay off your debts to your master, do it. Avail yourself of the opportunity. And Paul does not mean that anyone should remain in slavery because God wants them to, but that God's perspective of them is the same as the free believers in Corinth spiritually. There is no distinction in God's eyes, even when the believers in Corinth think there is one. So I can picture the ones in Corinth at this moment who are trapped in their social status, moving moving up or down the social ladder, and their spiritual classism, And they start to see it. They begin to understand the heart of God. That society's practices of who is important and who is not has no place in the kingdom of God. God is not an elitist deity impressed with those who have risen the ranks of class. He is a God who sees every person as they truly are, equal under the shadow of the cross. All in need of their loving Savior equally. And all of them worth the blood of his son jesus if there was any doubt that paul meant this he levels the class system in the next verse in verse 22 he says this for he who was called in the lord as a bondservant is a freedman of the lord and likewise he who was free when called is a bondservant of christ so he references the bondservant as a freedman in christ and the freedman as a bondservant of the Lord. This is not to say that some believers, when they come to Christ, go free and others are put in servitude. For we all become servants of God when we are saved. But Paul emphasizes this spiritual, equal state for the church of Corinth so that they would be one body of Christ with each other. Not the slaves and the free, not the Jewish and the Gentile, not the male and the female, but all belonging to Christ equally. And if you think your circumstances, things that you can't control, lessens you in the sight of God today, this morning, God wants to tell you that you are a freed man or woman of Christ. Cast off the burden of the world's perspective but that is placed on you and vice versa, if you think that you deserve and, you, and you've come here with a self-righteous spirit and you think that you deserve Christ after the worldly or religious things that you have accumulated, the message for you today is that you are a servant of Christ. Pursue, pursue humility and pray for a right spirit within you so that you may be grateful and, and not act like a spiritually entitled child. Verse 23 says, You were bought with a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, there let him remain with God. This leads us into our second and last point today. In whatever circumstance you are in, God remains with you. In whatever circumstance you are in, God remains with you. Paul finishes his teaching by reminding all the churches... They were bought with the price of Jesus' blood, every single one of them, the same blood. That they should look only to the lordship of Christ in their life as the only source from which they derive their identity, and that any other man-centered authority would be considered secondary to the lordship of Christ. We are bondservants of Christ because of the debt that has already been paid for us. We do not worship Christ because of the debt we have to pay back, but because the debt has already been erased for us on the cross of Christ. And as we serve, as we are called into obedience, we know that God is with us and that Christ emphasizes uh, empathizes, excuse me, with us in our trials and our sufferings and our doubts and in our changing circumstances. And He is there in all these things to sustain us. So instead of a tyrannical first-century master barking out orders and demanding perfection, we serve a Lord who is gracious and kind, and who promises to remain with us in whatever circumstance He has called us to walk in. This is a tough illustration, but I I'm trying to think of like a moment in my life where I've um, experienced, and maybe some of you have experienced something similar where where you have a job or you're in an environment where there is an authority figure over you. But you have such a good relationship with this person. It just doesn't feel so much like a job. I remember when I, when I graduated from college and I came back to Kansas city, I took a job as a a part-time school teacher uh, at a a homeschool co-op. I met a family there called the uh, name, the Clarks. (laughs) And, um, the Clark's were a loving family, uh, Jerry um, and Tammy Clark and their two kids. And I remember, I looked, I was looking for a job during the summer, and Jerry uh, had a huge tractor. He was a man of many talents, jack of all trades, kind of that kind of guy. Uh, he called himself a hick too, so you know he was very comfortable with his himself, <laughs> but. You know he he was like, well Joel, what are you going to do this summer after you get done teaching? I said, like, well, I don't I don't know. I'm I'm looking for a job. He said, why don't you come work for me? I'm like, well, what do you have in mind? He's like, well, I, I have this Kubota tractor and there's a lot of uh, guys contacting me. They say they need the lots kind of cleared. There were some house lots, uh, the house lots in the area in uh, Bonner Springs and and they were all overgrown and. And uh, the people who owned the lots but weren't ready to build, they still probably because of city codes, things like that, had to had to you know clear out the the brush and everything. And he's like, "Why don't you come work for me for the summer?" And I remember it felt much more like like a family. That when when I was invited to work with Jerry, I actually was staying over at his house because Bonner Springs is like 35 minutes away. Their house was so long and uh, far away, and and uh, we ate. Meals together all the time. Uh, we played games, but we worked really hard. I remember this one time I was at this. It was like one of the first times I got on this huge tractor and this this gigantic mowing attachment. And you know the the uh, blades are about six feet wide. And and the thing is, when you get on the tractor, it's like eight feet high, and you're <laughs> you're looking down, and you know there's manhole covers in there, right? Because the, the sewer's been placed in there, and everything's ready to go. The house just isn't there and, but you've got six feet of brush, and you can't see it, so, and, <laughs> I mean, I remember I was on this tractor, and one time, um, I, you know, I'm trying to look around, spy these things, and this tractor goes over a manhole cover, and I thought lightning struck right behind me, and, uh, like, a bomb went off or something, and, you know, Jerry comes running down, he's like, you know, what happened, and I look back, and the whole manhole, you guys know the big manhole covers, it was off, and it, like, had broken off, and it was, like, about Two feet to the side. I mean, it was huge, right? And he's like, what happened? I was like, well, I think I hit a manhole cover, right? And uh, you know, I I expected, like, you know, this is my tractor, uh, you're gonna have to pay for this, and this is uh, you know, this is something that's gonna come out of your pay this summer. And you know, I'm gonna have to get the blades fixed, but it wasn't like that. He kind of looked at me and said, keep on going really? <laughs> I mean, I just almost destroyed your track. He's like, no, keep on going. And that was, that was what it was like working for, for Jerry. And uh, it really blessed my heart because it, I feel like I got a glimpse of this, this illustration, being a servant of the Lord. It's really about the relationship. We have responsibilities. We have the life laid out before us, but, but God wants to do it with us. So because of the blood of Christ, and because it doesn't discriminate against us, it doesn't discriminate against the penitent, humble heart, Paul ends this section by encouraging the Corinthians and us that in every single situation you find yourself in, live for the glory of Jesus. Because no matter the situation, if you trust Christ, you are his, and he is always with you. Zephaniah 3.16-17 says this, Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. And Paul ends here in verse 24. When he says, let him remain with God. Right, this life in whatever condition he's called, whatever condition we're called, let him remain with God. This means that God has always been with the Corinthians through everything they've already been through and that he is still there with them. Since Christ came into the world and saved us from our sins, he has not left us, but has been walking alongside with us by his spirit joined with ours to comfort us, to lead us, and to guide us. Let's rest in our identity in Jesus so that we're not transformed or shaken by our circumstances. And let us trust that God has never left us and is calling us to faithfulness and fullness of joy in following him while he is alongside us every single day and in every single circumstance. Let's pray. Dear Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank, thank you, God, for uh, your goodness to us. And thank you for calling us to each and every life that that's in this room, that's in the world, and I pray that as we walk daily that we would be reminded our circumstances will change and things that are outside of our control will happen, but you are in control. And that we are here to trust and obey, that we are your servants. Not because we're working for our faith, not because we're paying a debt of sin, that our debt has already been paid and that we joyfully join in the work of your kingdom. I pray that we would walk in this today. In Jesus' name, amen.